Good evening. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Clark Grant is manning the board. And I always like to remind everybody that we are on Facebook and we usually post who our guest is going to be. We also post the recordings of these shows. So if you ever want to go back and listen in, uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. If you have any comments, input, or if you'd just like to be our guest. Speaking of which, our guest this evening is Nicole Snow of Darn Good Yarn. Cannot wait for you all to hear what she's up to. In just a moment, Nicole will be with us. This is Heartstock. Thank you so much for listening. Heartstock, and uh, we are here with our guest this evening, Nicole Snow of Darn Good Yarn. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Carol. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being our guest. And I just have to say this because we have been waiting for a very long time, Nicole. <laughs> and I'm so glad that you're here. Yeah, it took it took a couple of uh, approaches of the runway, as they say, <laughs> but we, we finally got this thing to land. Yeah. Just as we had to close the station due to COVID, um, Nicole was up to be our guest and um, we had to reschedule. So here we are. And I really, really thought that we would be through our all of our shutdowns, lockdowns, on and on. But here we are. And um, uh, I'm very interested to hear how COVID has affected your business. I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say that um, it's it's actually probably booming. But before we do that, please tell our listeners just a little bit about Darn Good Yarn. Yeah, so I'm very much an accidental entrepreneur and I always like to start that because I think in the world of like fast entrepreneurship, people, you know, venture capital and kind of how sexy it's been made to look. I started a yarn company out of my guest bedroom 12 years ago from money from my savings account. So I didn't even have a business plan and I didn't know how to knit. I just wanted to learn how to knit. And I was like, well, let me turn this into a business. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And then it just sort of like took off with a mind of its own and started to grow like a weed. What happened early on back 12 years ago, I found out about this yarn that's made from reclaim material out of India and Nepal. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I remember knitting with it for the first time, really basic, and it covered up a lot of my mistakes. And 
I said, well, like I'm sure there's other people out there who would be interested in this because it's reclaimed and it's recycled material. And I was right. People did want it. And then as I started to reorder and like I'm talking, I ordered 25 balls of yarn initially and then I got 50 balls the next time. And I remember some of my first orders being in business and going like, well, if no one buys it, I guess everyone's getting scars for the rest of their lives, whoever knows me. So I soon into the buying process, I started to get feedback from some of my suppliers and I had a small little import business before this. So this is how I had some of my connections in these countries. Um, they started to give me feedback like, oh, these women that make the yarn, they only do it at certain seasons, in certain seasons of the year. And then the other parts of the year, they're kind of filling in their own little household economies with other side jobs. So a lot of it is like harvesting in fields or making hand-rolled cigarettes. And I didn't understand that because the yarn was so cool and I've never seen anything like it in the big box stores. Um, so that started me, Carol, to just start digging, like what's going on here. And when I realized that I could then change my company instead of just selling yarn on the internet, which I sometimes very simply say, um, I really said, you know what, Nicole, I'm going to make my business a conduit to create sustainable employment for these people. And it was right at that juncture. And like I said, this was within the first couple of months of the business being created. I think it just changed the whole way I went about growing my business. And we've actually on the Inc. Uh, 5000 list uh, the past four years in a row. So that's really exciting. And we've added on a lot of product lines that still fall back on the ethos that we started with, with using reclaimed materials. So we sell clothing as well. And yeah, we're based in central New York. Sorry about our, our little guest visitor in the studio here. She heard something outside and started barking. <laughs> we really try to avoid that kind of thing. But um, it's just special for you, Nicole. <laughs> we, we, had, we had some sound effects, some, some canine sound effects there. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing more about how you ever got into the import business initially. And then you, you already shared a little bit about how that evolved into the, the yarn business. But... Yeah, t tell us a little bit more about that. You know, where are you from and how yeah. how how did you decide that you were going to be an importer? And I'll tell you that I always feel so like it's I laugh at these not at the question itself, but it's really so humble. So I uh, I went to school in upstate New York at Clarkson University. I had uh, my undergrad was in business and uh, with a concentration in international business and supply chain management. But I was in um, Air Force ROTC as well. So I went out of school um, into active duty as an officer and I was I did contracting there. So it was very much like, you know, like I was writing contracts with small businesses and I grew up in a small business as well. My parents had a medical equipment business. So I was just always around that. And I thought everyone had a small business. I think like when that small business atmosphere is normalized, like I have a three-year-old daughter and I think she thinks it's normal to see mommy or daddy drive the fork truck around. So it was like, okay, this is what you do. Like there's just small businesses and that's how the economy works. And from there, after the military, I actually wound up leaving the military early. Um, 
I had, you know, quite a depressive disorder and it just, it was kind of a crash and burn. That was, I felt like at that time, you know, in your early twenties, like nothing's recoverable. I felt at that point, nothing was recoverable. Um, around the same time too, I got married. And as I was trying to figure out really which way was up. And um, I think, you know, if someone, if people have gone through any kind of depressive episodes, especially in their early years, like their sort of formative adult years, you're just trying to figure out like, what the heck is going on? Like, what do I do as a professional? And like, am I even worth it? Like kind of those really big questions. And my husband, like, you know, we're newly married and he was like, just go figure it out. Like, we're going to figure this out together. And his job wound up bringing us on the road. And so I got to travel with him all over the U.S. He worked for a defense contractor. And I had just always, I remember going to this really cool import store in San Francisco and just the smell of the incense and like kind of that funky smell you get. Like it's like that kind of store where you can get your Tibetan prayer flags from. And anyone who's been there, it's like that patchouli and cedar smell, I guess, and sandalwood. I was like, I would love to create that experience. Like that, even when I talk about it now, like it brings something up inside of me. I said, well, let me try to create that experience online. And this was back in 2006. So I learned how to code a website and I did, um, I just reached out at that point, there were Alibaba was in its infancy, uh, which is an online portal for importing. And there were a couple of other like small startups at that time. And I was able to find other small business owners in India in particular. And they were like, they were kind of hustling just like me. Like I, I remember importing like rugs and baskets and all sorts of like home goods. And I just went to craft fairs. And at that time I was living in California and I remember loading up my Dodge Caravan that I bought on Craigslist for $1,500. And it had plastic hubcaps on it too. And that's an important part of the story, I guess. And I just, like, I got my how to sell, how to run a small business by just going to these craft fairs, going to these flea markets and working long, hot hours on the weekend. And then during the week, I was like a professional wife cooking meals and getting my husband off to work. So how then did you evolve into the yarn business? And it sounds like maybe you just, uh, through your import business, happened upon mm -hmm. this really amazing, recycled, sustainable product. Yeah, it was, it's exactly that. Like, I, I really stumbled into it. It was, I've always been a pretty crafty kid. Um, even in college, I look back, like, there were probably warning signs when I was doing metal sculpture in my dorm and I was at a university that's generally like mostly engineers and business majors and they're like getting ready for corporate life. And I was there like making my Alexander Calder mobiles and <laughs> filling up my dorm room. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I laugh at that because that was like, that was my happy place. So when I had this business, it was cool. And I just really liked it more though for the texture. So when I got something in, it was like, oh, look at the textile. Look at, and I was again, not classically trained in any of this. I just knew I loved it. So then anyone who crafts out there or has, you know, maybe a partner that crafts, they know that they can't just do one craft. Like you'll, you will never probably just meet a knitter. They knit, they probably quilt, they probably scrapbook, like we have issues going on with that and um, I'm the same way. So I wanted to learn how to knit and I said, well, let me 
work this through my supply chain that I had already set up. And that's how I found this. I was just looking for something cool. And these countries are so rich in reusing product, like down to the very last iteration of use of the product. And that's how I found the yarn. I stumbled on it. And it wasn't that great, but I saw what it could be. And then as the business evolved, I just worked with them to say, you know what? Americans don't want their yarn to smell like so we need to work on that and they want it balled up in a specific way. So let's work on that. And I just kept working with them. And then I don't want to say it was simple economics, but it was it was a supply and demand issue where we were able to then just start racking on really sustainable jobs. And right now I have about 600 artisans who work for me year round uh, between both countries. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your suppliers? It sounds like and this is a, an important part of your motivation is providing mm-hmm. income for those who probably are living pretty close to the edge. Yes. So um, when you think about there's there's some incredible books on this um, and I can share them maybe if there's notes uh, after the show. But mm-hmm. when you look at um, global economies and you look at the people who are really actually below the poverty level on a global scale. You're looking at that, you know, you hear the idea of like less than $2 a day. Some um, economic studies will say less than $2.50 a day. These are the individuals that we're working with. They're generally um, dealing with caste discrimination, uh, religious oppression, um, and you're really at the bottom of the rung if you're a woman in one of these lower castes and you are in one of these religious minorities. And that's generally the people that we're dealing with who are making our yarns. And just as an example of what we're up against when I go to make yarn, I had an issue, it was about a year ago at this point and we have a yarn subscription and it started to grow quickly. And that's great because that means more, uh, more stable jobs. And my one supplier, who actually exports to me, like gets everything centralized and then exports to me. The yarn started coming in and like different, like I usually get them in 100 gram balls and they were coming in at like 80 and like the numbers were like all over the place and we don't generally have that problem. And I was like, what's going on? He said, let me figure it out. I'll get back to you. And Carol, he got back to me and he said, Nicole, the women I hired they're so illiterate. I got them digital scale so they can like move and stay at pace that they didn't even know how to read numbers on the scale. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're dealing with. So we work together. We got tutors to come in, start teaching them how to read. And we're trying to like pick up whole groups of people that have really been forgotten even by their own country. Mm -hmm. We are, you're inspiring me. In a, in a major way, and I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> we're going to take that quick 15-minute uh, well, break I can, here. I, can, I, mean, I can speak to this a little bit more. Yes. So like, yes. I think when people hear about my company, that they, they go like, oh my gosh, like, how do, like the India thing, and it seems like a big hurdle. And I'm not going to say like importing isn't kind of crazy because there's definitely risk. Like <laughs> don't go throw the money out uh, if, unless you really know your, your suppliers. But... What I started to do is I looked at my business and I said, okay, how can I do in the world of where we're so profit driven, right? I said, how can we just do things right? Like we're in the US for the issues that are out there. Like we still are in a very rich country. And so you, that means that we have a lot of room 
to fail. And so, by example, what I did is we have our subscription club, right? And we'll have a couple thousand boxes a month go out. I said, well, let's partner with our local ARC and they, they help assign jobs and, and do job placement for adults with intellectual disabilities. And they're going in and actually assembling boxes. So we're creating again, sustainable employment. So it's, I always look at it and especially when I talk to people who are in the arts community and I say, it's just being creative, but you're using the other side of your brain. Mm-hmm. And when you see people like when they get it, it's so cool because they're like, okay, I can take this agency and work this into my business model and kind of work from this backwards approach that they don't teach you in business school. And that's like, I get really excited about that because that's when you start to create these like really significant changes for groups of individuals who just don't get the attention they need. Yes. So we're going to take a quick little break here. And in just a moment, we'll be right back with Nicole Snow of Darn Good Yarn. This is Heartstock. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today our guest is Nicole Snow of Darn Good Yarn. Hi again, Nicole. Hi, Carol. So everything that you've been touching on kind of comes under the umbrella of conscious capitalism or social entrepreneurship. Um, Before we kind of dive into more details of your organization and your enterprise and all that you're doing... Do you have anything that you want to say about that whole idea of conscious capitalism? Yeah, so I've, I, like, I'm a big story person, but I didn't even know what conscious capitalism was when I started my business. And it's definitely is picked up attraction, but I run my company on 
an old accounting, uh, well, I shouldn't say old, it's like the late eight, late 90s, so it's really not that old, but it's this idea of a triple bottom line framework. And people, you can go look it up, and again, triple bottom line framework, uh, TBL sometimes. And it's this idea of measuring the success of a company based on three things. It's one, being profitable, because you have to still remember that if you don't have a margin, you don't have a mission. And I had a, a, a mentor tell me that, and it's just, it does make sense because I think sometimes, especially women, they tend to like price too low and then they like, they wind up just totally stressing out themselves and it's not a sustainable uh, model. So that's the first P. They usually call it the three P's for triple bottom line. The second is the planet. So what's your stewardship to the planet? In our case, we measure success by how much waste material we're reclaiming and putting back into our items. So to date, we've saved about 2 million pounds of material waste from heading into landfills. And then the third is people. So how do you treat your employees? How do you treat your suppliers and your supply chain? How are their wages being affected? And you're then encapsulating all of that. And that's truly the mark of success of your business. And I love this because sometimes I think conscious capitalism, while really amazing, it casts such a broad net. And I think people go like, especially like solopreneurs or when you're just starting out, you're like, I have no idea how to get my hands around this. And the triple bottom line framework kind of like really simplifies it in a way where you can say, you know what, I'm going to just pick off little things here and there. And as long as I'm serving these three P's, I'm going down the right track because that's really what I did. I mean, I grew my company, um, like I said earlier, out of my savings account. It was like $4,000 out of my savings account. And we last year we closed in at just under $10 million in sales. And this is like all self-funded. So I think there's like a lot of validity to just kind of taking it slow, slow and sustainable, and it just starts to build momentum on itself. When I think about people wanting to make differences in the world, I think oftentimes the default is going to nonprofits. And while they definitely have their place, I'm always really encouraged to see businesses that take on this triple bottom line framework and then say, you know, I'm going to put my, my flag in the sand in a specific region and try to build up these communities because there is a stabilization that needs to happen and that takes years. And then it's the next generation of individuals that will take their communities to the next place. And the best example of that is I have this young lady, she works, uh, she's been working for my supplier who I, well, he's my vendor for years now, but her mother is a spinner of our yarn. And this was, she would come into work with her mom because of safety issues. Um, she couldn't be at home by herself. It just wasn't a safe environment. And so as we continue to talk and grow our relationship, it's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to start an agency so that I can help other young women go get educated. And I'm like, that's where you're going to see that true economic development. So it's definitely a long process. Like I said, I've been doing this for over 12 years now, but when you hear things like that, you're like, okay, that's my reward. Yeah. And you know, there is actually research that shows the triple bottom line approach may in fact be more profitable over the long run. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? I think it makes sense. I think, again, I don't think it's as popular because it's not that rapid expansive profitability. I think that you see um, 
you know, just from certain companies and, you know, you hear about unicorns and the venture world has kind of skewed things, I think a little bit, not to say that venture isn't like, it's not, I'm not dissing on anyone. I'm just, this has been my experience. It's just a low, it's, you got to go low and slow. You know, it's like when you're cooking, right? Like sometimes you got to go low and slow on the recipe and it comes out amazing. And you would never have gotten that if you just blasted it in the oven. And I think this is sort of like that. And we tend to go for very quick results in the business community. And then one day someone turns around and like, you're I'm doing air quotes and overnight success. And you're like, no, I've been doing this for a decade. So if you have the, if you dig your heels in, it's a, it's a phenomenal model. And advice for others who have a passion like yours that are considering, or maybe already are in startup mode. What advice do you have for other entrepreneurs? So, in the at the top of the show, I talked about how I got out of the military um, and I was dealing with a depressive disorder. And going through entrepreneurship is like that's the hardest thing I think you could ever do to yourself mentally. And I don't think it gets enough attention. So I would tell entrepreneurs to focus in on specifically their mental health, but their overall health. And it seems, I think, where the entrepreneur community, you know, you kind of get your gold star if you're working your 100-hour weeks and working yourself to the bone. I question if that's really the most sustainable way. I mean, just as, you know, you look at the triple bottom line, right, as it relates to the business, I think you have to apply some of those same tenets to how you're treating yourself too. Um, so going to therapy, going to coaches, like if you have to do your Reiki, go do your Reiki. I mean, like I'm a proponent of all of those and actively I'm in all of the above. It is absolutely critical because you need to be self-aware and it's so easy to see other shiny objects. And I think as entrepreneurs, you're like, oh, I see how I can make that work or I can make that work. And if you do too much of that and go off your track, you wind up diluting everything. And you have to have the mental fortitude to just stay laser focused on what you're doing. And especially now in the COVID environment, as you're moving forward with caution, I actually have that as a little post-it on my desk I'm looking at, but I remind myself of it. Just keep moving forward, but with caution. So you you need that discipline and focus that I think comes with investing into your mental health. And how about COVID? Was I right earlier when I guessed that your business is booming? I actually wish it was booming. It, we we took a little bit of a uh, hit pre-COVID that we were definitely recovering from. We had some just slip-ups internally and like marketing, like, you know, we just, we're tightening up and we're growing. So, you know, we got a CFO, like I joke about, like, we're a big girl company now. We have a chief financial officer. And so we started to really tighten down things. And we realized that we definitely had to achieve some efficiencies. That was back in January. And then we're like, okay, let's start chugging along through that. We're down actually 20, 20%, 22% on the year. Hmm. However, what it's allowed to happen is we've had some contraction in the business, but I've watched my team pull together and like flourish. Like it's been awesome. Like I have a lot, I have a very young staff um, for the most part and they just have stepped into these managerial roles. And I'm like, you guys are amazing. I don't know where you were <laughs> this other couple of years, but it's just so magical to watch people under pressure. Not that you want to have COVID as your pressure, but they're just stepping up in ways. And to watch people develop professionally is 
to me, one of the coolest things as, um, as an employer and as a mentor. And how might our listeners find you? Nicole. Yeah, you can always find me on Instagram. My personal handle is Nicole Snow. If anyone has business questions or whatever, I always love that. Or if you want to look at the uh, website, you can go to darngoodyarn.com or you can visit us on Instagram as well there and see a lot of really fun pictures and a lot of cool boomerangs as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being our guest. Very inspiring. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And as per usual, we will be back next week. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our live programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. That's time we